Oh yes, Dan Housen here. Very nice, very evil, very famous. Here to tell you that you, hopefully, are listening to the Weekend Wrestle Podcast. Yes, it is a wonderful mix of wrestling history, discussion, and comedy. Yes, very good. Isn't that nice? Well, anyways, if you're not listening to it, how do you hear Dan Housen say this right now? But nevertheless, if you're not listening to the Weekend Wrestle Podcast, you're cursed. <laughs> You're listening to the We Can't Wrestle Podcast. Now it's time for our host, Kate. Hello, wrestling fans, and welcome to the latest edition of the We Can't Wrestle podcast. Nate Maxson, your host, here with you. And, of course, I am joined, as always, this week by my brother, Aaron. Hello, everybody. And we are joined by, once again this week, Mr. Mark Brew. Yo, 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 yo. And there will be other folks, I believe, joining us um, as the show goes on. It's the holiday, babe. It's casual. Good. <laughs> it's casual Monday. Come in whenever you want. Ark, you'll probably probably be eating a burger. As as we're recording this, it is more than likely. As we're recording this, it is uh, the 4th of July. Aaron's sitting outside, so you will hear fireworks going off. And it's a a patriotic edition of the We Can't Wrestle podcast. And this week, of course. Go ahead. At least least it's fireworks and not somebody's meth lab. That's on Wednesday, probably. This uh, this week we are continuing our journey through the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Top 500 from 1991, the first one ever last week. We ended the show with Aaron Maxson accusing AWA's Steve Regal of helping Buck Zumhoff groom young men, I believe. So uh, that is not true. That allegation does not stand. And Aaron's looking at me like, Aaron's looking at me like, what the fuck? You were pretty drunk. And uh, that happened. So anyway... <clears throat> Mr. Steve Regal, if you're still alive, we apologize for Aaron's uncouth remarks here. Okay. <laughs> I think his most, like, legitimate point about it was his, he was Mr. Electricity, but he wasn't shocked at the actions of his partner. <laughs> I got to start listening to our show. Yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are going to do as we have been doing every single week since we started this series. We're going to do 90 minutes and see how far we get. If we get 30 done, we get 30 done. If we get 20 done, if we get four done, whatever. It's a fun conversation here. Going like to the Pro Wrestling Illustrated. No preparation for me whatsoever. Yeah, I just open a magazine and there I go. So we're going to start this week. Last week, Steve Regal, not British Steve Regal. The AWA's Steve Regal was number 182. Yeah. Minnesota Steve Regal. This week, we are starting with number 181. What a fantastic mullet on this guy. Paul Diamond, 6'1", 230, eight years pro. Canadian is a former pro soccer star, teamed with Pat Tanaka as Bad Company, now wrestles occasionally for the WWF, a fine blend of science and strength. I am actually a fan of Pat Tanaka and Paul Diamond, the Bad Company, and the iteration of the Orient Express as well. Yes, and I'm a fan of just 
Paul Diamond and Jet, like that dude, um, like like we kind of knocked him on reliving the extreme, you know. And by the time he got there, like they were kind of out of place, honestly, mm-hmm. and maybe, maybe a little like, eh, like I don't want to say past their prime, but just kind of done, you know. But up until then, and just in the ring, like that dude could fucking work, and Pat Tanaka could work. But they just didn't fit when they were, like I said, like you said, the Orient Express, man, that fuck them fucking matches with the Rockers. Oh, God, yes. Some of the best tag team matches in the WWF ever. Fucking fantastic. And they had good ones with uh, high energy, too, right? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. Well, that would have been, that would have been, uh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, you're right. Because it was high energy and then the new foundation, wasn't it? Mm hmm. Because Coco threw the guy at the door and they had to let him go or whatever. Yeah. I think that's how it worked. It says he was an iteration of Max Moon, too. He was. Yeah. He was Max Moon because Conan got to the WWF and they were going to make him Max Moon. And then they fired him because he, they, he had an attitude and was perceived to have a bad attitude. And they paid all that money for that fucking suit. And Paul Diamond was similar size to Conan, so they put him in the suit. And Conan has gone, and this is, I don't know, do you guys want me to keep rambling about somebody that's not even. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll get, maybe we'll get to him at some point. Okay. Okay. It's just the funny thing about what Conan did. This just cracks me up. Number 180. Lou Perez, six foot two thirty-three, five years pro, exciting youngster, is the brother of Al Perez. Unlike Al, Lou has competed in purely scientific style since his his nineteen eighty-six debut, a former PWF light heavyweight titleist. I don't know if I've ever seen a Lou Perez match. I don't know either. It was, Al Perez was the Black Scorpion, wasn't he? He was originally going to be the Black Scorpion. Yeah, and then he didn't want to do it because he was going to have to job. And they were like, nobody knows who the fuck you are. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so then, uh, it, it, yeah, when they started that storyline, they had no idea who it was going to be. And then they landed on Al Perez because I think he had some kind of an interaction with Sting early in their career. So they thought Got they could make that yeah. work. And then uh, that whole thing happened with Al. And then it, it, the train the train went off the rails and it wound up being the convoluted Ric Flair deal. But yeah, and, and nobody's mentioned the fact ever since then that Ric Flair knows black magic. <laughs> uh, Lou Perez looks he like Smiley. I mean, he knows how to, he knows black magic. Yeah, Lou Perez looks like Mark Marrow with Razor Ramon's haircut. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yo, I'm a bad man. Number 179, speaking of <clears throat> brothers, Vic Steamboat, 6'1", 235, five years pro, former ICW champion, is the younger brother of Rick the Dragon Steamboat, has oh, also yeah. competed in WCW, strictly a scientific wrestler, Dynamite Flying Press. You know, back in the day, young me thought it was true. I thought Vic Steamboat was actually Rick Steamboat's brother. A striking resemblance. I will say that. But Rick Steamboat isn't even the other Steamboat. Like, all these Steamboats came about because they thought the other guy looked like the other guy. Yeah, their Rick Steamboat looked like Sam Steamboat. Yeah, Sam Steamboat. I couldn't remember the fucking name, Sam Steamboat. There's Steamboat Willie. He was a black guy. 
Yeah. So it didn't really work. <laughs> Not, none of them looked like him, but. <laughs> Anyway, moving on from Vic, like I said, I said, I just, you know, that back back in the day, the kayfabe got me, and I believed the myth. We are joined now by Mister Archie Mitchell. What's up, everybody? Sorry, I'm late. Uh, That's oh, all right. We've gone through we've gone through Paul Diamond, Lou Perez, and Vic Steamboat, so you haven't missed much. Well, I love Paul Diamond. Me too, but still. <laughs> Number one hundred and seventy-eight. Is DC Drake 6'1, 256, seven years pro? Mad Dog is a drooling animal, has held the tri state and NWF titles. Five year feud with Larry Winters ended in friendship. Will use any low tactic. Um, there's a first, guy I saw in the book, in, in the books, in the magazines. Yes, yeah. and 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 he, I, I thought based on just his connections in tri-state and with, with those guys around that area, I just think it's surprising that he was not a part of those early ECW days, you know, along with Larry Winters and, and Glenn Osborne and that whole bunch of miscreants. <laughs> um, I'm, so, I'm just surprised DC because he actually almost fit the bill more than any of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, it's just, like I said, I, I don't know if I've ever seen a DC Drake match, but I always remember seeing him in the in the book, and I keep saying books, in the magazines. In the books. Yeah, in the books and the funny papers, you know, but I always remember seeing him, but never, I don't know if I've ever fucking seen him work. I've seen a couple of his matches from watching, like, whatever of Tri-State I've been able to find on YouTube, but... I'm assuming the lumbering north. No, he no, he wasn't bad. He uh, kind of like he wrestled like a Buzz Sawyer style. Really? Yeah, like a kind of a Mad Dog kind of thing. Yeah. All right. Um, Archie, Mark, any comments on DC Drake? Any? I'm in the same boat with Aaron. I remember seeing his name uh, in thousands of magazines on the independent circuit. You know, in different matches and things like that. But I never have seen him wrestle before. So. Well, judging by the picture here, it looks like he's pissed off and his eyeline is running. So, <laughs> yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, that's, that's about it. Yes, he's like Tammy Faye Baker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we should make a shirt. Remember them shirts they used to have, where it was like mascara running down the shirt, and it said, "I ran into Tammy Faye Baker at the mall." It should be like, <laughs> "I ran into DC Drake at the Goodwill." <laughs> He was working there. Number 177 is Tim Horner. 5'10", 235, seven years pro, combined with Brad Armstrong to win the UWF Tag Team title in 1987. Lightning Quick fares very well in Japan, where there is less of a premium on size. I'll never discount the fact that Tim Horner was a good worker, but he was... He was bland as fuck, in my opinion. And um, one of my favorite things is when Jim Cornette let him fucking put that shameless video on Smoky Mountain Wrestling. And um, um, what's his, his name just went right out of my head. The money mark. Not, not the money mark. The money man for him. Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin was like, what the hell, man? Don't ever put that on TV <laughs> ever again. Like, no. Yeah, and Tim, Tim Tim Horner promos are Jeff Farmer level. And if you like, ever want to watch like something just completely horrible, watch fucking Tim Horner's fucking <laughs> Shameless video where he sings the song Shameless. It's so bad. 
I mean, I'd be ashamed if I looked like that in this damn promo picture. Like, literally, it looks like he has on one of the Rujo's jackets and the Taskmaster singlet. <laughs> like he just walked through the locker room. What you got for me tonight, guys? Hey, I'm, hey, I'm Tim Horner. I'm here to work. Here tonight. And, and, and then he, he came out to the Thunder Rolls. It's like, that song's about spousal abuse, you moron. Right. Right. <laughs> you should be coming out in a you should be coming out in a wife beater. Yeah. And there's actually a song called White Lightning, and that's your name. Why didn't you use that song, you fucking idiot? <laughs> you're not you're not white thunder, you're white lightning. Come out to white lightning. He was a Garth Brooks fan, damn it. Uh, number one hundred and seventy six is Jumbo Sheruda. 6'4", 272, 19 years pro, just keeps getting better. Probably the best wrestler on the Orient at, uh, in the Orient at this writing. A former AWA world champion, the number one draw in all Japan League. And like I always say, I am, as MJF would say, not one of those guys that pretends to watch Japanese wrestling. I don't. I don't. I am not. I would never claim to be well-versed in it. I watch... I watch matches and things of people that I hear are really good, but I don't consistently watch Japanese wrestling. But what I will say is based on matches that people have recommended to me that I have seen of Jumbo Shruta, the guy was fucking awesome. And again, I'd never, I'd never claim to be an expert on his career at all because I'm not, I'm not a Japanese wrestling guy, but I mean, everything I've ever seen hard hitting, Good, strong, you know, which, with the King's Road or whatever they call it, style, uh, great wrestler. It seems like, from what I'm reading here, that they teamed him with Giant Baba a lot and Stan Hansen. Yeah, I think he was one of um, one of Baba's um, boys. Yeah, one of his inner circle, you know, in all Japan. And probably the guy's like, eh, Baba's like, eh, I got the name, but I ain't going to do the work. <laughs> yeah. You do the work, and then I'll get the pin. Kind of like when uh, Dynamite talks about having to work with like giant haystacks or whatever. It's like I got to work with this fat slob. I'm not saying that Baba was a fat slob, but like that type of thing. Like mm-hmm. I'm going to work with you, so you can do all the work, and then I'll get in there and get the get the fall. Mm-hmm. Plus, you probably trained him, so he's cool. He was happy to do it. Plus, he's, if, if Bob is like, you're going to be my partner, I'd be like, that means I'm getting main event money. Yeah, so. I'm getting main right. event money. All right, sign yeah, me up. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> Archie, anything on Jumbo? I hate to say this. I've never heard of him before. <laughs> and I'm I'm a little – I do watch Japanese wrestling, but I guess it was before my time. Like, Yeah, I mean, his 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 peak years were 70s and – like late 70s through the 80s. Yeah. So – have you Never. ever stopped at the 7-Eleven? Get yourself a Jumbo Saruta. <laughs> Decent drink. It's got sake in it. <laughs> um, number 175 is Yellow Dog. 6-1-2-30, year pro. Sure, it's Brian Pillman, but it hasn't been officially proven. Possesses same skills as you-know-who. Distraction of identity is a hindrance. Should return to his own image. This is... You know, your classic Midnight Rider type storyline that they're doing with Brian Pillman and WCW at this time, um, wrestling as the Yellow Dog. Yeah, but he literally walked to the ring with a golden retriever. 
Yeah, like, I was. What I was gonna say was, at least with Dusty, there was a reason he became the Midnight Rider. Nobody forced Brian to go become Yellow Dog. It was just a creative thought. You know what I mean? So it was just shitty, but it was a creative thought. <laughs> right. Yeah, it was Jim Hurd. But but he also thought of the ding dongs. You know, like, listen, 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 Brian, listen, you're gonna be the yellow dog. The yellow That's marketable. Dog. That's a t-shirt. Number buddy. two, number two. Don't forget number two. Yellow dog number two. And if you don't like that, I will make you arachnoman. <laughs> that that went to Brad Armstrong, right? But he and I would have probably been offered like, to Brian first. And I would have been like, wait a minute. Don't isn't that like an insult? Like, oh, you yellow yellow dog. dog yeah, right. <laughs> Doesn't work. Why can't I be like a pit bull or a Rottweiler? You fucking simple. They were they were getting ready to join ECW. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> Number one seventy four, Chris Walker, six two two fifty four, two years pro, newcomer Conan. Chris Walker possesses one of the sport's finest bodies, teamed with Steve Simpson to win the first global tag title. Shocks foes with aerial skills. The guy wasn't awful. He was a bigger dude, you know, the poofy hair and et cetera. Um, he, Van knockoff. It, yeah, but he was, he was, a mu- he was, he was a much better wrestler than Van Hammer. He, yep. and I, I liked him in global and, you know, he actually was in the WWF for a bit after this because mm-hmm. I remember yeah. him seeing him on primetime against the warlord and, yep. you know, some of the other big guys. He was the guy that if you were like driving home with your mom and you're like, I want Carrie Von Eric. And she's like, shut up. We got Carrie Von Eric at home. <laughs> Fucking Chris Walker. Yeah, he looks like a cross between Van Hammer and the ultimate warrior. Like I, just I, his, like Ultimate Warrior with a build. I I remember him in Global, like Nate said, and I actually was a fan of him in Global. Me too. And then, and I and, and I like I like his partner Steve Simpson too. Aaron and I've yeah. talked about it. I, I'm a fan of the Simpson brothers from when they were in World Class, and then and then right. went to went to uh, Global. But yeah, go ahead, Archie. I didn't mean to cut you off, but no, no, you're fine. But I don't. I can't like. Yeah, he was a flash in the pan in the WWF. I like I I don't even think he showed up on any of the main shows. He was more on no, the syndicated well, shows. Well, unfortunately for what I think he was one of those guys that it was unfortunate for him that they signed him and then the steroid trial started. Right. And they were like, Oh, well, <laughs> we're gonna it. have you to stay over here. Yeah. We're not ready to play you with it. you yet. You he was go. definitely on the juice. It's like you gotta go, buddy. <laughs> You know, but if that wouldn't have happened, I, I think he could have been a, a credible threat to like a Mr. Perfect. Not saying he would have beaten Mr. Perfect, but I could have seen him challenging for the Intercontinental title mm-hmm. or losing to a, a heel heart foundation in a tag team match. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, he would I, have been, yeah, he would have been on the card. I think he would have been in, in a position of like a Coco Beware. Right. That type right. of star where he. He's going to beat the jobbers and he's going to beat the other lower level guys. Right. But then he's going to get a match, like you said, against Mr. Perfect and he's going to lose. You know? Right. Right. Well, he, he oh. beat Pat Tanaka on February 17th, 1992. I know this is, that's a year after this. But, well, who didn't? And, right, Mark. Who didn't? Beat Pat Tanaka? Well, I mean, it says he's beat Tanaka, Kato, Hercules, the Brooklyn Brawler. So, I mean, it's not like real. Real notable names, but 
Except for Hercules, I guess. I mean, but that was probably power and glory, Hercules. He's a he's been a who's that? A professional wrestling. <laughs> I'm surprised that was a beat match. Yeah, that was he. That was that was Hercules when he had gotten off the juice and he had like a pot belly and right. (laughs) He was about to become the super invader. Yeah, I was gonna say he he he, uh, did the infamous thing where he he, uh, no sold Sid's power bomb. You guys ever see that? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Got straight back up. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, fuck this noise. No talent, motherfucker. And I'm not even saying Sid's a no like I like Sid. Mm. I can understand why a guy like a Hercules would be like, fuck this guy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm 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 leaving anyway. Don't you don't you have some softball to be playing instead of throwing power bombs, sir? (laughs) Number one seventy three. This is a guy that I'm sure all of us, um, again, admitting not being um, especially, I wouldn't want to say, uh, well-versed in Japanese wrestling. This is a guy that I'm sure all of us have had plenty of exposure to, Masa Chono. Oh, yeah. 5'10", 235, seven years pro. Japanese star is a well-experienced, was well-experienced in U.S. rings, has wrestled the CWA, Continental, and now WCW, partially trained by the legendary Luthez. Masa, my hero, Chono. As yeah, Eric Kevin Nash. Him. Yeah, Eric Bischoff. I must say Kevin Nash. But yeah, they were like, Masa, my hero, Chono. <laughs> um, Chono, um, he's not, how do I say it? I don't want to say this like disrespectfully. He's not the, he's not like a Fujinami or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like he was solid. And he looked great, and he had, like, a good, like, aggressive-type personality, but he's not a guy that I'm just like, oh, man, I've seen him have fucking five-star matches. And not every guy's like that, you know what I right. mean? Right, yeah. So, so I, that, I'm not saying that knocking him. I'm just saying he's not a guy that I would tell people, oh, if you want to watch Japanese wrestling, watch Chono. You know what I mean? Yeah, because, I mean, he re- he actually, to be honest, he wrestled more of an American style, really. Yeah. Well, yeah. See, he had a mix of that strong style, but the American style as well. I guess that comes from being trained partially by Luthez. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was I was a mark for Masachono when he won the NWA International Heavyweight Title, and then we saw him and Muda at a pay per view battle for it, and then I think Wyndham beat him for it, or Wyndham beat Muda for it, whatever the case may be. But yeah, I fo- I still follow Chono's career. Like he's a he's an announcer now for New Japan. And whenever he steps in the ring and like does a bit with them, like to still show he can still go, I, I mark out because he was a part of my childhood. I, I enjoyed, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Aaron said, he yeah, he was never known for a five-star classic. But if you wanted a good, solid 3.5-star match, Masachono was going to deliver. And he didn't look at it, and, and he was a Japanese guy, but he didn't look at a place with somebody like Barry Windham because he was... right. He was he was a big fuck. You know right. what I mean, like he, he was a bigger <laughs> compared to like, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm yeah. not. I'm, yeah, I'm just, he wasn't like, small. He wasn't small. No, and that, that's you're right though, and that that made him. And, I mean, and we're again, we're not talking about people that uh, that that aren't here, or we're not talking about on the list. But I, I would say the same thing about Kensuke Sasaki. You know, right? Yeah, he he was he was made to be a Japanese wrestler that wrestled here also. Right. And I think that's why 
when they did that whole NWO Japan. That's why guys like Chono and Saito were tapped to be in it because they were okay, they were cool with crossing over the pond and actually wrestling in the United States, mm-hmm. where a lot of other Japanese guys were a little iffy because the United States wasn't great at putting over Japanese talent. Right. You know, so I would, but with Chono, uh, Suzaki, uh, uh, you know, Muda, th- those guys were, and Liger, of course, those guys were like, you know, we, when we would get them, we were like, oh, yeah, we got to do something big with them. You know, and they understood so. the American style of wrestling. Like, yep. don't come over here laying it in, dude. Like, settle the fuck down. And, <laughs> and he, seemed to, he seemed to get it. Right. And I said, and I wouldn't know for sure, but I sometimes assume that guys that came over from Japan and wrestled good here, wrestled wrestled good, and wrestled well at an American style in an American ring with American wrestlers, are also guys that took the time to learn English. Right. You know, I mean, it's all about communication in there. So. Anyway, number 172 is Steve Dahl, 5'10", 237, seven years pro, a hot streak for the Pacific Northwest star, holds both the PNW singles and tag team titles with Crush. He and Scott Peterson were the Southern Rockers. Now, he was also well done, wasn't he? Yes, he was Stephen Dunn. Yeah, yeah. Stephen Dunn, And yeah. well done. I can't speak much to his 91 career because I didn't watch Pacific North Wrestling in 1991. I'm I'm really interested to see what a tag team of him and Crush looked like. You know what I mean? The right. pretty boy and the... The, the, I mean, the I'm Crush dolls. A, I'm a, yeah, the Crush <laughs> I like that. <laughs> but I mean, Crush obviously was still Kona Crush at this point. He wasn't Evil Crush yet, so... He wasn't. He, he No, he hadn't even... He hadn't even... By the time this was published... He may or may not have started with the WWF. Well, no, no, right. no, no. I take that back. I take that back. Demolition's over, right? Right. At this point. So, I yeah. So. But, yeah, Crush is back. He hasn't even become Kona Crush yet. He's right. He's gone from the WWF and gone back to Portland. Because the, the WWF, I don't think, doesn't bring him in as Kona Crush until after WrestleMania 8. Yeah. Right, because him and, him and Doink fought at 9, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was like early 92 before Brian Adams came back. And it wasn't this. He didn't team with the Scott Peterson that murdered his wife. Just so you guys know. No, it wasn't. Oh God. <laughs> Side note. I don't know Peterson thing. There was. <laughs> there's a sausage company. Okay. Oh God. And, oh God. It was called Scott Peterson's, and they sold like hot links and all this stuff. And I know this because I sold it. And like when that happened, I looked at that packaging. I'm like Scott Peterson. I was like these people they're they're in damage control right now. And then like, <laughs> like six months later, their 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 product started coming in, and it was called Scott Pete's. <laughs> Scott Pete's. Scott Pete's. They're like we can't call ourselves Scott Petersons anymore. Yeah, ruined it. I don't know. Is it just me though? Or does Steve Dahl kind of bear a resemblance to maybe uh, Terry Gordy had sex with a you know uh, good genetics woman and and this was the outcome? <laughs> Not a bad call. Slightly like Gordy, slightly. Yeah. Okay, so I just <laughs> this this poor Scott Peterson's guy. He's like, I gotta I gotta retire. 
Like, Nate. <laughs> Nate. Yes. I just looked up Crush and Steve Doll as a tag team on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Crush is still wearing the demolition gear, and Steve Doll looks like a Chippendale dancer <laughs> with a little bow tie. So it's like two like, opposite. Like, I was going to say they come out to the theme from Odd Couple. Right. <laughs> it's like, okay, uh, uh, an S&M guy and a Chippendale doesn't doesn't really match up very well. <laughs> the 91 <laughs> version of Magic Mike. Right. Exactly. <laughs> oh, God. We know which one's on top. <laughs> Keep crushing it. All right. Keep crushing it. <laughs> Number 171 is Shane Douglas. Six foot two twenty three, five years pro, a fine tag wrestler, teamed with Johnny Ace as the dynamic dudes in WCW, teamed with Humongous to win the Continental Tag Title in nineteen eighty eight. Now in the WWF, which I know at this point he had come to the World Wrestling Federation with the bleach blonde hair and the tan and the bright orange tights and um, for, for all for all everything I've ever heard, they had plans for him. And then um, what his dad died or something? Was they would. Or something. Yeah, they wouldn't let it. They wouldn't let him go, and he just went. <laughs> so it was. Yeah, that it was. Seems like that was Shane's mo for the WWF. Whenever he was there, because he does a shoot interview during for his Dean Douglas run, and he hurt his back, and Vince was like, "No, we can't give you any time off for your back uh, injury, kid. You're just gonna have to take a, a pain pill and get over it." And he literally told Vince McMahon to go fuck himself and walked out. The only thing you know I remember. I mean? so, the only thing I vividly remember from. I shouldn't even say vividly because I don't know. Was he in the? It was the ninety-one? Yes, he was in the ninety-one yep. Royal Rumble. Yes, for like twenty minutes, I think he actually lasted pretty long because nobody got rid of him. And he had some matches on. Um, he had some obviously some matches on primetime superstars, etc. I do remember also, and I don't remember if you guys remember this or not, but I remember when I was so. How old would I have been? Nineteen eighty-one. I was or nineteen ninety-one at this point. I'm like. 12 or 13. And I remember in the lunchroom amongst my wrestling buddies, you know, at one time they were discussing we one of the rumors going around. Of course, this is the same rumor mill that some people thought there were two ultimate warriors, but that's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> the, the rumor at one point was that at the Survivor Series in 1990, because he had not yet made his debut, Ted DiBiase's mystery man was going to be Shane Douglas. Wow. Um, I remember that being a rumor going around that, that, uh, that, that I don't know, it went around school. I don't know if somebody heard it from like a parent that got the sheets or what, but I remember that going around like he was going to be like Ted DiBiase's apprentice. Like that was a rumor. Now, you know? if that would have happened, for like a couple of months, Shane probably would have been hot shit because he would have been with Million Dollar Man. But I don't think that would have had the same feeling as with The Undertaker. Right. Right. You know what I mean? He wouldn't have no. that longevity. No. No. Well, he the crazy probably would have ended up in ECW. I know we're getting in the weeds here, but the crazy thing about The Undertaker is it wasn't even supposed to have longevity. Right. Like They, they had a, a one-year plan for that character. He's going to get built up, and Hulk Hogan's going to beat him. And then after that, he's done. And then Mark Calloway proved that that was not what was going to happen. <laughs> so, you know, like if anybody else would have had that gimmick, it probably would have been like one year and done, you know. That's Fast forward 30 years later. That's yeah. one of my favorite things about him 
when he talks about when he signed and he saw that egg and he was like, oh my yep. God. Oh my God, I'm, I'm going to be the egg. Man. I hope I'm not the egg, man. <laughs> Gee, right? Now that I'm going to take the money. Different. I'm going to take the money, but right. I hope I'm not the fucking egg, man. <laughs> Can you, all right. He comes out as the egg if he would have been the egg man, right? He lasts six months and has to call Ole Anderson back for a job in WCW. Like, hi, Ole, it's Mark. Um, the WWE oh, guy. The WWF scrambled me. I gotta. Yeah. Can I come back and team with Spivey, please? I, I did. I didn't get over easy. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Shane. You guys know how I feel about Shane Douglas. I'm a. I'm a big Shane Douglas fan. Uh, always have been. Um, I shouldn't say always have been. Seeing him in ECW ignited my fandom. Mm-hmm. And then when he went to WWF as Dean Douglas, I was like, what the fuck are you doing, man? You know what I mean? And never having seen him cut a franchise promo in the WWF was like, it hurt my feelings. Because I think that promo would have gotten over big in the Attitude Era. If he would have come into the W, I was going to say, if he would have come into the W, if he would have never done the, the Dean Douglas thing, mm-hmm. and therefore not had his, his major ass heat in that company. Right. And would have wound up coming in, say, instead of late 95, coming in in late 96. Right. Could have been a whole different. Nash and Hall would have been gone, so Michael's pull with the click wouldn't have been as big. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and by, that just... point, by that point, he had already, like, he would have had a few years cultivating that franchise gimmick. Mm-hmm. And Vince is getting to the point where he's about to let people start taking the cuffs off, you know? Right. Right. It could have been a whole different ball game for Shane Douglas. Imagine if he would have walked out as like Sean was celebrating at the, uh, you know, a world title win over Sid or somebody, and just been like, "Cut the music!" The whole crowd would have exploded. You know, fun fact: Shane Douglas is the only autograph that I've ever surprised Archie with that he didn't know who was coming. That is true, and I have it in my collection, up in my closet, in my binder. He's the, Mark is the reason I have autographed pictures now because that was the first one I got and it got me hooked. And now I have Adam Cole <laughs> and, and other other ones. So yes, Mark added to the addiction. <laughs> Good job, Mark. That's what buddies are for. Exactly. I agree. I ain't mad about it. Number one seventy is my opinion, one of the greats of all time, the honky tonk man. Six one, two fifty five, twelve years. Uh, pro, a deceiving talent, looks like an Elvis impersonator, but enjoyed the longest WWF IC title reign in history, now competing on the independent scene. Let me tell you, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Not only was this guy a fantastic performer, not only did he do everything he needed to do to make that gimmick, he's like The Undertaker, not as legendary, but he's like The Undertaker where he took a gimmick that should have been a flop. Right. And turned it into a major league thing. And he's one. And he of, put his whole heart into it. And he's one his of the whole guys. Life. He's one of the guys that I agree with Raven talking about how, like Raven talked about, like the the top five greatest gimmicks of, of all time. And he put Honky Tonk Man on that list. Like, like I think he said it was like Taker, Boss Man, Honky. Like, not saying these guys are like the greatest wrestlers ever, but these fucking gimmicks were fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like Kamala, 
You know what I mean? Like, like, is this guy going to give you a fucking five or four star match? No, it, it's not about that. It's about the presentation of it. And right. that's what the honky tonk man was. And honky tonk man also was a good worker. You know, right. I mean, right. the, you know, but the, uh, the other thing I'll say about him before I let you guys, uh, expound more if you'd like is the, the last line there now competes on the independent scene he's an independent wrestler yes yeah, has any wrestler he's a live show fucking wrestler. Yeah, well not just that but i'm just saying has any wrestler <clears throat> besides honky tonk man i guess i'll talk about like 90s into the 2000s did any wrestler that was a former big time pro wrestler really embrace that independent scene like Honky Tonk did. He's a big time. I was going to say, I think Tracy Smothers. Okay. Tracy yeah, Smothers I'll give you that. Name. Yeah. But Tracy Smothers is a fucking live show guy. Like, and, and I'm not even knocking him at all because he was fucking fantastic. Even watching him on TV and shit. But mm-hmm. he, he, he's a interacting with the crowd motherfucker. And that's the guy that I'd say I, I'd put on that level. Him and like um, Ricky Morton. Mm-hmm. It's a guy you got to see live to. Re- and I know we all appreciate Ricky Morton, but like I didn't appreciate Ricky Morton as much as I did when I watched that guy wrestle at a fucking live event. I'm like, this dude's fucking captivating. And mm-hmm. so is Tracy Smothers, <laughs> and the Honky Tonk Man's the same way. So um, you sit there, you sit there, and you smile. Rest in peace, Tracy. But you sit there and you smile. Because that dude is in that ring and the Staying Alive remix is playing and he's fucking getting it, man. He's yeah. he's whole he's all in doing his fucking shit and it's great. He was high as fuck. He was, yeah, he was. yeah, he was. When I got his autograph. I wanted him to sign my WCW card from from the nineties and he signed it and he's like, What's your name? I said Aaron. And he goes, Spell it. I said A R O N and then he still spelled it A R A A R O N. And then I was like, I want, I, I want you to sign my eight my my eight by ten too. And he goes, What's what's your name again? I said Aaron. And then he was like, uh, Tracy Smothers to my best friend Eric. Oh God! <laughs> hanging on my fucking wall. That is funny. It's that hanging is funny. on my fucking wall. <laughs> he bought the autograph. He bought two of them. them. Both of them. Oh, yep. It was fucking great. Like Nate and I walked away and I looked at it and I was like, he said Eric. <laughs> he wrote, Eric. My best friend. My Eric. best friend Eric. <laughs> and well, him and- thing. Go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say we also got to see we got to um experience Tracy and Tommy Rich at the same table. Yeah. Buddy, they were fucking yucking it up and having a good old fucking time and it was great. And and the only other thing I'll say about Honky Tonk Man is he has one of my favorite comments ever. That somebody was interviewing him, and um, he he likes Brett, you know. Like he's like talking about Brett. He's like, oh, I lo- I like Brett, you know, because he was in Canada and the, and and um 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 Bruce gave him the Honky Tonk Man gimmick, and um he's talking about the hearts and how much he loves them and everything. And then they said, well, this is what Brett said about you. And what Brett said about him was that the honky tonk man, um, couldn't throw a punch to save his ass. His punch couldn't break an egg. 
la 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 And Honky Tonk Man's just like, all right, Brett, I understand that. He's like, but who would you rather work with? The Honky Tonk Man, whose punch can't even break a break an egg, or Goldberg, who kicked your fucking head off your shoulders, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and ended your goddamn career. <laughs> Not wrong. Right. Number one well, six. Number one sixty nine. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Mark. The only thing I have to say about him is, is you cannot have a conversation about greatest intercontinental champions and not include him. I agree, Never. Mark. One sixty nine. Dan Crawford, five eleven, two thirty five, nine years pro, virtually unknown in the U.S. This Canadian is becoming famous in Japan. Teamed with Doug Furness to win the All Japan Asian Tag Title on three occasions, none tougher. And of course, once he got here, we know him as Phil Lafon. Well, well, we know him as Phil Lafon in the WWF, mm-hmm. but in ECW, we knew him as Dan Crawford. Yes, which never made any sense to me. Like, why the names? Like, what? What were the WWE hope WWF hoping for that tag team to become that they felt the need to own the name? Yeah, I don't know. You know I don't know that, and it's not like they changed Doug Furness's name. I don't know why right. they did it. Like Lafon's going to be the breakout star, so we're going to make we're going to change his name, make him Phil Lafon, and the merchandise is going to fly up because everybody wants to own a shirt that says Phil Lafon on it. <laughs> but he was a good worker, and they were a good tag. Yes, he team. was. Yes, yes, he was. It sucks that they came in at the height of Owen and Bulldog's tag team run because there was nobody going to be able to take the belt off of them at the time. So they didn't get the tag title run that they deserved in the WWF. Mm-hmm. And he was in that accident with like Sid and Scorpio and all that. Yes. I just, I actually just covered that on Slice of Time this week. They said they had to pull a fucking, like, he kept talking about how he was having like his like headaches and shit. Was that in there? Maybe. No, no, that, like this, the accident just happened on the yeah. episode. He I was telling, remember. he was telling people like after the accident, he was like telling like WWF, um, med people like he kept having headaches and all that shit and they ended up pulling like a fucking piece of glass out of his fucking head damn, okay. damn. it's fucking nuts it's a bad motherfucker yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> number well, one uh, it go also ahead. says ahead, he wrestled in Mexico as uh, Blue Blazer number two really yeah Blue Blazer Lafon <laughs> does number <laughs> Dose. Number 168 is Mr. Hughes. 65308, three years pro. The bodyguard for WCW champion Lex Luger is a fine wrestler in his own right, competed in the AWA in 1990. Quite speedy for a man his size, needs to wrestle more. On the Reliving the Extreme podcast, we poke a lot of fun at Mr. Hughes. But Mr. Hughes yeah. wasn't that bad. No, he, he was really he wasn't. was decent. He was decent. For his a man his size, and you know, I mean, we make fun of him a lot because he's like Undertaker, I took your iron Undertaker, and stuff like that. But <laughs> overall, you know, he wasn't. He's never going to be. It's like we say a lot. He's not going to be your main event guy that's wrestling, you know, Hulk Hogan or whatever in the main event or what have you. But he's a decent big man undercard wrestler. I, I, I enjoyed him as I enjoyed him as the bodyguard for Luger, and mm-hmm. I enjoyed him. I enjoyed him as a heel. <laughs> WCW oh, attempted yeah. to make him into a face at one point when his glasses exploded after a headbutt. I think it was either Ron Simmons or JYD that headbutted him, and his glasses exploded in his eye and he came back a face. Hmm. Um, but I always yeah, he did the he did the, the he did the big cat thing again. They teamed him up with JYD. Yeah, so but he was definitely a good good heel. 
Yeah, yeah. it was entertaining. Like, I, I can't say I, I didn't enjoy him. Let's see if I can pop Nate again. We have a prescription for a bee cat. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to Reliving the Extreme for that Easter egg, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Number 167 is Muckensing, 6'2", 380, 12 years pro. A shocking change was Norm is known as Norman for two years, but has returned to rule-breaking image. Now blast foes with his bulk, formerly managed by Teddy Long. We all know this is Bastion Booger, Mike Shaw, et cetera, et cetera. Wait a minute. His name was Muckensing at one point? Muck- well, yes, because he, was, he, was, he actually was Muckensing in, in Calgary. Calgary. Uh, I forget who he teamed with, but they were like an, an Indian team. But he wasn't Indian. Like, he was a white guy who was converted. To, whatever. It doesn't matter. Oh, okay. Pakistani up, up, or something. Up, 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 up in Canada, there was a, like, guru guy. There's a whole documentary about it. I, can't, I, I don't want to fuck the guru's name up. But he was a guy that started, like, a cult up in there. And, like, all these people were joining it and... It was like a, I don't want to say like a David Koresh type situation, but it was just this weird fucking thing. And there was like heat with, with like, like Indian people. You, you know what I'm saying? It was kind of like, when, but like, he's the farthest was, from fucking Indian that you can right? get. <laughs> it was kind of like when the WWF traded on the, the racial heat that people had with like Iraqis and stuff like that here. That's what he was doing, and it was. Yeah. I was never a fan of the guy. And There's not enough spray tan in the world to make me think that he was Middle Eastern. How do you go from Muckin Singh to Farmer to what was it, Prior Ferguson? <laughs> to Bastion uh, Booger. To Bastion Booger. My my favorite was Bast- also Norman the Lunatic. My <laughs> favorite Bastion Booger story is uh, Pat Patterson talked about it. He said that that fucking Mike Shaw walked up to walked up to Pat and told Pat he's like, hey, I, I don't know what I don't know what I need to do. Um, I, I want to do more here. And Pat was like, you got to conversate with Vince. Like, like you gotta you gotta you gotta put it out there. You gotta tell me you want to do more. And um, Ashton Booger, Mike Shaw was like, all right. So went and talked to Vince, and then. And then Pat saw him a little bit later, and he goes, "He goes, how'd the conversation go with Vince?" And he's like, "He fired me." He said, "We don't, we don't really see anything in you." Like he was like, "What can I do to, like, you know, advance my status here?" And Vince is like, "Nothing. We got to let you go." <laughs> worst, worst my, advice ever, Pat. My favorite Bastion Booger moment is always going to be Survivor Series '93. Where he teamed with Bam Bam and the Head Shrinkers to take on the Bushwhackers and Men on a Mission. The four Love doinks. It. Doinks are up <laughs> or whatever. Jesus Christ. <laughs> it was over with me as a kid. I mean, <laughs> and I still, to this day, I enjoy it just because it takes me back to that place. And before we get to number 166, we are joined by the original gangsta of the We Can't Wrestle podcast. Mr. Kyle Army. Woo! Oh. He's, 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 doing, he's doing the Kamala belly. Is yeah. it the movie? You want to let the- everybody know it was the Kamala belly. He's not whacking it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I'm 
working to be a tattoo artist. I should tattoo fucking the moon. Hey Archie, is it the moon belly or the or the star belly that's worth the most? The moon, the moon belly. belly. Moon belly. There you go. Oh, yeah. moon, moon, moon belly. Let's make yes, that sir. the name of the show. Moon belly. Moon belly, moon Kyle. Belly. Moon belly. <laughs> Moon belly Kyle. Yeah, no, it it moon belly Kyle. Yeah, no. That's pretty- I'll take Moon Belly. I I could you know I'm pretty funny. Yeah. And you're and you're so drunk right now, you're like <laughs> He's like Norman the Lunatic. Yeah, but yeah. Hey hey Moon Belly Kyle. Ask yes. Nate. He's the booker. Ask him if he's got anything for you. <laughs> he's going to be like, no. And then you're just going to get released. You <laughs> <laughs> fucking, I can do a count. I count three. <laughs> I'm on my plane with my weights. Number, number 166. On the PWI 500 here is Brian Knob, 6'1", 295, four years pro, teams with Jerry Sags at the Nasty Boys, the current WWF tag champs, a pure street brawler. Sags and Knobs are also former PWF titleists, totally untamed. Until, 90, until 95, until 95, the Nasties were actually a really good fucking team. 95, they got, 95, they got lazy. At least, at least, knobs did. In my opinion, I. What number are we on? One sixty-six. So, and this is us. What five hundred? Yes. And fucking Brian Knobs has made it this far. He has WWF tag champ. I understand, but goddamn, it's Brian Knobs. It's not like they talk about Kevin Nash five moves doom that. That dude. Well, actually, knobs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Sags was the worker of the bunch. Let's put it yeah. that way. But knobs was the fucking entertainment. Exactly. My like, point is, think of everyone that has come before this. You're going to tell me with a straight fucking face that he should be this high on the list. Well, he should rank above the equalizer. And we talked about Lou Perez, so uh, yeah. You leave Evad alone. <laughs> Are we going into the equalizer now? No, we already talked about him last week. Oh, yeah. Archie, Mark, any comments on Brian I'm not. I'm not saying a word. I don't want to even get involved in this. <laughs> what, about Brian Knobs or the yeah. equalizer? <laughs> no, but I, I love the equalizer. I don't like Brian Knobs, so We'll just move on from me. I'm just trying to figure out when he was the terrorist because it says ring names, the Brian Knobs, and then it says the terrorist. Probably After in the 95. AWA. Probably in the AWA. Probably the last time that he had a Taco Bell. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> like, I think Brian Knobs is a terrorist, and they're like, why? It's like, because he's in there blowing shit up. <laughs> I, I want to believe. I want to believe that if Brian Knobs still working today. And he's working some fucking shithole fucking place. They're like, can you just fucking put a mask on and be the terrorist? <laughs> can you be, I don't want to show my face tonight. Can I be the terrorist? 
Can you imagine what a Brian Knobs dump looks like? Jesus Christ. He's, he's in I the snow. I'd yeah. rather not. <laughs> Number 165 is Dick Slater. 6-1-235-21 years pro. Dirty Dick is back. Teams with Dick Murdoch as the hardliners, a main event star through the 70s, has captured dozens of regional titles. Dick Slater is a man who, through my entire vision of his career, I didn't see Dick Slater in the 70s, so I don't fucking know. But for me, he was always a guy doing a poor impression of Terry Funk. He Maybe. did Terry Funk later. And Dick Slater, he's the guy that, um, and there's a few people I can say this about, but he's a guy that I can say he's a talent, or was a talent because he's, he's dead now, but he was a talent, but he was a scumbag human being. Like, Dick Slater isn't, wasn't a good, good person. Card-carrying oh. member of the KKK, I believe. No, that was really? Dick Murdoch. No, oh, that, that was, Dick, okay, that was Dick Murdoch, sorry. But Dick Slater um, basically you. stabbed his girlfriend and attempted to murder her. Like he was, would, he was, would he Jimmy Snooker there? No. Oh. If he was, he didn't remember. Yeah. Right. But but Dick Slater as a as a person, trash bag human being, as a talent, I enjoy him. I uh, well, they I go enjoy on him. later. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. They go on later to team him with Mike Venus, who is Blake Beverly, and put him over. On Booker T and Stevie Ray by DQ, so yeah, yeah they were rough and ready. Parker, yeah, rough and ready. I was gonna say I liked them with Bunkhouse Bucks as a tag team with Colonel Parker as his manager. Um, that's they with my boat calling him Dick and Anus. Dick and Anus. <laughs> well, Nate, you said that that uh, Dick is dirty. Dick is back. That's what she said. <laughs> Any final words on Dirty Dick, guys? Fuck them. That's how you get STDs. Dirty Dick, is, Dirty Dick has penetrated the territory. <laughs> <laughs> the next one's going to pop, Aaron. 164, Bobby Fulton. Hells yeah. 510 to 2012 years pro, founding member of the Fantastics, teamed with Tommy Rogers for years, and with his brother Jackie Fulton since 1990. Few can match his blazing speed. I know you're a big fan of the Fantastics, Aaron. Oh, I am. I think that team is super underrated, and they kind of got um, lost in the fact that, like, they were around the Rock and Roll Express, and then Rock and Roll Express had more charisma, and I, I think that team could have been so much more than what they were, and. And and it, I don't know when Tommy Rod did we already talk about Tommy? We Rod- talked about Tommy Rogers last week. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. fucking fantastic. It was fantastic. Not not even trying to do a pun there. I, I I the Fantastics were a great tag team, and the only thing I think hurt them was they had a career path next to the Rock and Roll Express. Like, if somebody could have got them in a promotion away from them, I think they would have been much bigger than what they were. See, but here, here's the thing. Because I'm thinking about that a lot, because you, you hear that a lot where they're like, well, they were in that era. Well, The Rock was in the era of Stone Cold. It's a, different, it's a different animal. I just, you know what I'm saying? Like, 
whatever it may be, whether it was because they just, you know, didn't have the the drive or whatever to but like I think the Fantastics actually were and everybody's gonna be like, Oh, shut the fuck up. I think they were a better working tag team in the Rock and Roll Express. I just don't think they had that Ricky Morton charisma, in my opinion. But as a working team, they were better, in my opinion. Anybody else? Anything well, on Bobby Fulton? Well, in the year 1990, they uh, it seems like Bobby Fulton and Tommy Rogers was working all Japan, so I'm assuming they were pretty over with that crowd and hence why he's so high up here on this list. And um, Cornette talks about when they came back, like Bobby Fulton, like he was doing Japan and they were using Bobby and, and his brother in Japan as well. And when they would come back from Japan, Cornette would have to be like, you, you guys gotta, you guys gotta settle down. Because they were they were fucking knocking people around and shit. It's like you gotta you gotta stop, guys. You're fucking potatoing people and shit. Because like he'd have to like talk them down from how they were used to working in Japan. Where it's like I'm a that strong style. Yeah, but mm-hmm. well, that's just not gonna fly here, dude. Yeah. Thing, Number. Oh, I mean, go ahead. Go ahead, Kyle. I mean, it's, it's funny how they say like you know it's circular, you know. We're essentially going back to the territories with this whole open door policy or whatever. Like everybody is basically running out to everybody else. Mm-hmm. I mean, my God, look, look what happened with Cody. Man. They fucking he goes down there, gets whatever he needs down there to be able to come back to the WWE and help. Let's be honest, fucking Vince is like, here you go. Yeah, Drew McIntyre did the same thing. Yeah. You know, you gotta, it's it's like Cornette says, how can we miss you if you don't go away, you know? And yeah, I mean, and that's what, that's what these guys were doing then, you know, Bobby Fulton and Tommy Rogers jumping from promotion to promotion and these other teams and stuff. It's, it is, it's kind of like we're moving, we're moving back to that. Um, hopefully in a good way. Number 163 is, uh, this guy double dipped this year in the PWA. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. I got a problem with this. The, the, uh, but, but we, but we are, but we are still in the era of kayfabe, and I respect the fuck out of that because I miss kayfabe. Number one sixty three is Kato six one two thirty one year pro, masked newcomer replaced Akio Sato one in the Orient year. Express in nineteen ninety. Not much is known about this martial arts master since he refuses to give interviews managed by Mr. Fuji. And as I said, at 181, when we started the show, we talked about Paul Diamond, who played Kato. Yeah, so we've actually already right? talked about this guy. Not much is known about him. We just fucking talked about it. <laughs> well, I mean, there's an accolade right there, though. I mean, he's the first motherfucker to be on the BWI 500. Twice. 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 <laughs> So we won't elaborate too much on that because we already talked about the guy. 162, one of my favorites. At this point, he doesn't have uh, that classic gimmick yet. But we're talking about Scotty Anthony, 6'1", 235, three years pro, arrogant rule breaker, was formerly known as Scotty the Body, three-time PNW champion, an exciting blend of speed, style, and power. Big mouth causes trouble. Raven, Scott Levy, 
one of my favorites of all time. Yep. The guy that realized I'm working too hard. Yep. <laughs> like I'm working too hard, getting nothing out of it. So I'm going to come up with the coolest fucking gimmick ever. But whether nothing. What you got to say about <laughs> one thing you got to say, one of the many things I can say about Scotty, Scotty, whether it's Scotty Anthony, whether it's Scotty the body, whether it's Johnny Polo, whether it's Raven, that guy put 112% into every gimmick he ever had. And, and I mean, a, a fucking mind like you wouldn't and, believe. And that's the thing. Yeah. Like, like, like you said, like I put, a, he put one hundred and twelve percent into every gimmick that he got, but he also put nothing into it. Like, yeah. like, like <laughs> he's a fucking walking contradiction, partly truth and partly fiction. Like every gimmick that he got, he was like, "What can I do less <laughs> to get more?" Mm-hmm. I'm just sense. giving props because if you can make Scotty Flamingo work, you're a fucking jam. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, just like that dude is a fucking genius, and if he wouldn't have had, I don't want to call him lazy, but if he wouldn't have had the demons that he had and would have had more fucking drive to want to be a mind in the business. He could have wound up with the WWF booking job. That's what Vince wanted him to do. Oh. And he's just like, that's too much work. (laughs) I'm good. Like, he said that he would tell, um, because he had to write Mania. Yes, which he said took him all of 10 minutes. So he'd write Mania for Pettengill. So he'd write all of Pettengill's shit, you know? And he said Pettengill was easy to write for because Pettengill was a, was like, you know, a disc jockey and knew how to fucking talk and all this. So, he he'd write Mania in like ten minutes, and then the studio would call him. So he'd write Mania in like ten minutes, give it to Pettengill, whatever, and then he'd go back to his ho- he'd go back to his apartment, and then the 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 studio would call him and be like, "Hey, you're supposed to be here. Where are you at?" And he's like, "Oh, I'm at headquarters." And then headquarters would call him and be like, "You're supposed to be at the studio." And he'd be like, "I'm at the studio." And he's just sitting at fucking ha- he's just sitting at his fucking house, not doing a goddamn thing. And he's like, I literally did ten minutes worth of work, and just fucking sat at my house and fucking took pills and shit. <laughs> and he pulled that off for like a year. <laughs> Good on him. And when he got back, when he got back after the ECW shit, because Vince didn't like him. He came walking by, and he walked by Vince, and Vince McMahon said, who the fuck hired Johnny Polo back? <laughs> yep. And that's when he knew, this is not going to be good for me. <laughs> I think a month later, he got relegated to uh, Sunday Night Heat. <laughs> and did a good job with Heat. He did. Like He, he actually made the Heat interesting for the first time in like two years. Yeah. Number 161. Oof. Awesome Kong. 6'4", 440 pounds, two years pro. <laughs> pulled off an upset by beating Jerry Lawler for the USWA title, but lost the belt after only one week. Huge bulky frame. Incredible splash. Untamed Savage. Him and his big pig looking, these two big pig looking gentlemen. 5'6", you know, you know, 427 pounds. 
You know who they reminded me of? You know the two fat twins on the scooter in the Guinness Book of World Records? Yeah, we just talked about that's, that on the show. That's well, that's last what I night, they always reminded me of. Yes, last night, recording Reliving the Extreme, I brought up the Awesome Kongs, and Aaron brought up those fat twins. The Humphrey twins, yeah. or whatever they were called. Yeah. Yeah. But the, yeah, those guys were terrible. I mean, I think I remember seeing them in a six man tag. It was them and Vader versus Shockmaster Sting and Davy Boy Smith. And like the guy, the only guy moving better was Vader, was moving fantastic. And the Shockmaster and the Awesome Kongs were like, dude, these guys are moving at a glacial pace. Well, imagine the day Harley, imagine the day Harley Race showed up at center stage and they were like, we have your new protégés. Right. And he looks over, and they're both sitting in the corner, hooked up to oxygen tanks, eating a donut. Eating a donut. <laughs> He's like, "What am I going to do with these Hi. guys?" Hi, Harley. <laughs> oh, by the way, we're giving you Hercules in a mask too. His now name is the Super Invader. Yeah. And then somebody was like, "Boy, you got a panty on your head." Yeah. <laughs> Jelly donut. He's like, "Hey, Harley." He's like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> Not them. <laughs> Can I have the shock master instead? All right. Like, how, the, how the fuck did I go from Lex Luger to the awesome Kongs? Number 160. Once again, a name I know. Uh, everything I've ever seen of the clips looks like he was fantastic, but I don't pretend to watch Japanese wrestling. But one of the legends of Japanese wrestling here at 160, Hiroshi Hase, 5'11", 235, six years pro, a respected Japanese competitor, competed briefly in Continental Area in 1989, a top contender for all IWGP and New Japan titles, knows all the holds. Knows all the holds. All the holds. He's the man of all the holds. (laughs) All of them. I love it. Whoever wrote that like got stumped for words. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, all right, what else can I say about <laughs> he knows all the holes? Okay, that'll work. Number one fifty nine is a guy that Archie and I praise all the time on the show. Hollywood John Tatum. Yes, sir. Six two two thirty six. Arrogant Hollywood is best known for introducing valets Missy Hyatt and Tessa to the sport. Actually has accomplished much more. Martial arts master. John Tatum was a fantastic it may not have ever worked in like the WWF but he was a fantastic regional style heel territory style heel and doing the crybaby gimmick like an Eric Embry yes see this is where I I will agree with you Nate fantastic wrestler great promo he Mm -hmm. knew how to cut a promo straight from the heart and that meant that when he was teaming with Rod Price all Rod Price had to do was be the muscle of the tag team Yes. But in the way of the Heavenly Bodies and, and you know, some of the other teams Cornette was bringing in at the time to the WWF, I don't think they would have been a bad tag team to the WWF. I don't think they would have had longevity. Right. But I think well, for a solid year, like well done. might have, right, like a well done, you know, because they were a great tag team. And at the time, the WWF was taking everybody they could from GWF. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I don't think I, I wouldn't have been mad seeing them walk out to on a primetime wrestling. They, you know, they would I mean? have they would have spent a full year putting over the bushwhackers. <laughs> oh yeah, more than likely. <laughs> or in a in a Survivor Series match with the Beverly Brothers against like I don't know the Bushwhackers and 
the cool. natural, the baby yeah. face natural disasters. The disasters, yeah. yeah. Can you imagine Tatum doing the crybaby gimmick, sitting under the under the earthquake, screaming, <laughs> "Get him off me!" His balls are on my chin. His balls are on my chin. <laughs> Looks like an anorexic Big John stud. <laughs> Damn, you really gonna shit on a wrestler? Me and Nate like. Thanks, Mark. Oh, my bad. <laughs> so he looks like the last time we saw Big John. Never mind. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry. Aaron. Kyle's here to scold Aaron. I. I didn't know him. <laughs> well, I know you know him, but. I'm not taking. I'm not taking nothing away from his in ring work, though. I'm literally just, you know, just stating his appearance looks like if Big John Stud decided, screw this, I'm too fat, and I'm going to become an. I'm the emancipated stud. Number 158 is a man who, at this point, is well past his prime. At one point, one of the most probably charismatic overstars in wrestling. It's the Junkyard Dog. 6'3", 305, 13 years pro. There's a reason at this time that the wrestlers behind his back called him the Junk Food Dog. The popular JYD is still competitive. Age and advancing weight have deteriorated ring skills. Favorite maneuver is the headbutt, a WWF and WCW superstar for years. JYD, you can you could never take away from Junkyard Dog the um, the 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 promo. Well, not just that, but you could never you can never take away from JYD the size of star that he was in Louisiana in the early nineteen eighties. He was as big as any territory wrestler in any ter- any territory ever. He was over as fuck. And and yeah. and I, I I know what you're saying, but that's that's kind of what I say sometimes is like it, it, it's how I say with like a musician. Like yeah, that musician might be old and he might not be able to perform the way he used to, but he can still put together a song and and still be able to sing it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Not just like, you know, it's funny you, you bring up musician and song, because I was watching a video the other day of, I don't know if you've seen it, but if you get a chance, look it up. Break string on stage and proceeds to race strings said guitar while fucking singing and still playing. So it's one of those things that yeah, he might be older, but he's gonna do things, show you stuff that it's like you're like, what the fuck? Like I didn't about you know. Yeah, like like this would have been about the time that that um dog got brought back to WCW. And yeah. Flair has talked about when he got when he had to work with dog, it was one of the work, worst experiences that he ever had working with a wrestler. Like he was like after it was done, he was like, that was fucking garbage. Like, I couldn't even get a good job. I couldn't even get a I couldn't even get a good match out of the guy. But, like, when he comes in, 
the promos are fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like, like where Cornette's like, where have you been? He's like, I was at 127 Peach Street in um, Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville, Kentucky. And Jim Cornette's like, that's my mama's house. And he's like, yeah, that's Rob, man. You know, like, <laughs> it was good shit. But once you got in the ring, you're just like, ugh, it's not good anymore. So what I what I don't understand, maybe maybe it was just him. Like you would think somebody W or like Vince would be like, hey, so like the whole Taz thing, like you don't have to fucking beat yourself up. I just want you to sit here and fucking be you on commentary. Yeah. <laughs> Like I said, I don't know. I just dog lost a step and got fat and <coughs> had demons. I mean, I'm not gonna. I'm just gonna like he was. Yeah, I I, I don't want to shit on the guy. I want to talk about JYD being fucking awesome. So I don't want to talk about '91 Jim Junkyard Dog. You know, you had uh, mentioned that. Flair was bitching about he couldn't get a good match out of him or whatever. But I'm wondering if that is because, you know, they they planned to, for him to drop the title to JYD, the NWA World Heavyweight title. You know, maybe he was bitter because, you know, he felt like that was his fucking spot. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Well, and, and then to, to, to just show you, like, how over he like he is, he's over in the South in the 1980s. Yeah, America, not a fucking friendly place. Times, you know, and right. that over. And that's what I've I've told and talked to Nate about this before. Uh, Bill Watts kept wanting to find that 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 next black star. And that crowd wasn't like, that crowd was like, look, we didn't like JYD because he was black. We liked JYD because he was fucking awesome. Yep. <laughs> like, we didn't care that he was black. We care that he was fucking cool. Another one bites the dust and all that shit coming out to that. It's like, that's what we liked. It wasn't that he was a, it wasn't that he was an African-American guy. It mm. was the fucking JYD was fucking cool. They liked him because he, he wasn't no jab. He could have been a Filipino. <laughs> we would have been into it. Number 157 is Johnny Smith. Six foot, 235, nine years pro, younger brother of WWF star Davey Boy Smith, has yet to prove himself in U.S. rings, competes in Japan as member of the new British Bulldogs with the Dynamite Kid. I don't think he was a legitimate brother of Davey, but he was, yeah. he was a good fucking worker. I watched some Johnny Smith matches, and and, and and he was he was good. It's just a shame that he got you know paired up with that like the new. Yeah, that never works. Oh. Well, in ninety, he was in all Japan a lot, from what I'm seeing. Yeah, he wrestled mostly. He wrestled in Japan. He didn't do a lot of the states. So I think he was mostly Japan and Canada. Yeah, what's Maybe crazy he, is they was doing yeah. the whole uh, human dynamite kid thing. But Johnny Smith is a good. He was a good worker. One fifty six is Buzz Sawyer, 
511, 240, 11 Years Pro, Bloodthirsty Maniac, Mad Dog, 80s Feud with Tommy Rich's The Stuff of Legend, last seen in WCW under the management of Gary Hart, a trainer but not officially retired. Buzz Sawyer. Um, Stupid finishing maneuver name. <laughs> refresh my memory. He did like a superfly leaf and he called it the jam sandwich. <laughs> What's stupid about that? It's stupid. It sounds so fucking terrorizing. I'm going to hit you with a jam was, sandwich. All he needed <laughs> was a partner who had a finisher called the peanut butter or something like that. It would have been perfect. <laughs> peanut, peanut butter, oh. and jelly. Call oh. the PB, PB and J connection. Works. You know, in the know. 90s, it seems like they were teaming him a lot with Kevin Sullivan and the great Buddha. Yeah, he was in Kevin Sullivan's, what was it, Butcher? Uh, what was it called, Aaron? But, um, but Not Butcher Shop. Or was it Butcher Shop? It was, like, it was like Kevin Sullivan, Cactus Jack, Buzz Sawyer. Yeah, and they wanted him... They had Sullivan running this this butcher shop, but then um, TBS was like, "You can't have blood," like because they were like wearing like aprons. They were like, "You can't have, you can't have blood on your apron," because that, that that would be considered violent. So then the, they come down the ring looking all sanitary. Well, Kevin Sullivan was. The owner of the cleanest butcher shop ever. <laughs> so he didn't, he didn't have any customers. <laughs> didn't that lead to a lawsuit though from uh, Abdullah the Butcher? I'm sure. Abdullah the Butcher's always trying to fucking angle a buck. They're like, "Why are you Larry. pressing? Yeah, why are you pressing charges, Larry? Larry, kiss <laughs> the ring, bitch." <laughs> Take your side boob and go. <laughs> Number 155 is Rip Oliver, six foot, 245, 15 years pro. A rating hero in the Pacific Northwest, spent the majority of his career as a rule breaker before changing his ways in 1989. Father of young Larry Oliver. To be honest with you, I haven't, I haven't seen enough Portland in my life. Uh, to see a lot of rip in Portland. However, I have seen a lot of rip in world class. And I mean, w- he was a decent. What's that? And, and yeah, w- WCW. But no, he no, was. A- sorry. I got, I got, go ahead. Sorry. I got a guy. Can, I, I thought about Rip Morgan. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I, Rip Oliver was a decent worker, but I can't say that I've seen enough about him to give my honest to God judgment on him. So, yeah, I'm not going to rip Oliver here today. <laughs> <laughs> Judging by the picture, he looks like Luke Gallows with a Ric Flair wig on. <laughs> Number 154, a legend in the business, Ivan Koloff. 5'11", yes. 249, 30 years pro. Russian will always be remembered for his upset of Bruno San Martino for the WWF world title in 1971. A top competitor for three decades now, slowing down. Ivan is uh, awesome. And and here's what I'm going to say about Ivan Koloff. And again, not a guy. I'm not a guy because I was born in 1978. My prime years for wrestling were 80s and 90s. I'm not a 70s wrestling guy. 
But what I can tell you of what I have seen of him in the 80s and early 90s, I would say he's one of the most unselfish wrestlers of all time. Yeah. He, and- he, he, he put people over, younger guys. He developed younger guys. They would pair younger guys up with him for a fucking reason. And this guy was a fucking pro. And, well, and, and one, 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 I'm sorry. Um, one of my, and Nate, you might know what I'm talking about. Like, you know, he beat Bruno. He was, he was, he was the, he was the guy to get between Bruno and Pedro. And, and, and I don't want to cut you off, but as for us modern wrestling fans, just to put it in perspective, Ivan beating Bruno was the equivalent of Brock beating Taker at WrestleMania 30. Yeah. And then he went. Right, it wasn't had, expected. He went and had that fucking match with Pedro Morales, where he put Pedro over, and it's fucking fantastic. Like you, you, could, you could put that fucking match between Pedro Morales and Ivan Koloff on a fucking pay per view now, and people would be like, "That's the best goddamn match on the fucking show." Like he was fucking great, and he and he had. He had two careers. He had that 70s career where he was big as fuck mm-hmm. and jacked to the gills and then got into the 80s where he wasn't like, I have to be the main star. He was the guy that was like, I'm going to get um, Nikita over off of my name and I'm going to get um, Barry Darso over off of my name. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, like he yeah. was... He he was a guy that was kind of like how um, Heyman describes like Terry Funk when he was in the WC, uh, he was in the ECW locker room. Of I can get that guy over, mm-hmm. I can get that guy over. Like you were saying, he's not selfish. He's a pro. He was the guy in the NWA locker room saying, "I'll work him. I can work him. I can get something out of that guy, and I don't have to go over because I'm fucking Ivan Koloff." You know what I mean? That that dude, he was really fucking good. Think about like, it, in, in the, to put it in terms, like Mick Foley. Mm-hmm. Here's a guy that, for all intents and purposes, probably shouldn't have gotten you know, but because he's so unselfish, like here we're gonna let you win this, and we're gonna, you know, we're gonna give you this fucking moment. Well, and not just that, Kyle, but you said Mick Foley. And I compare it to Mick Foley because um, Edge, Randy Orton, Triple H, Triple H. Look at all the people that Mick Foley was unselfish for, and right. got them over and put them on the map. You know, and yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, a a fucking pro. Yeah, I got I got no holes in the game of Ivan Koloff, and I don't, I don't even know is he in the. And I know people shit on it, but is he in the WWE? Is he even in the legacy part of it? I don't think so. Seems like in the 90s he was doing uh, UWF and All Japan. He was even in the early, very, or very early ECW. Really? Mm-hmm. You know what? You know what? Honestly, they should start doing on the programs. Is just having like a just like once every show, just be like, "Hey, here's a spotlight on this former wrestler." 
Here's the here's the, the fucking two three minute clip montage of why you should care about Bruno San Martino, why you should care about Pedro Morales, why you should you know maybe one day when when uh, when they get their head out of their ass when the old man is dead. And, but they anyway, won't, they won't do that now because it's like wait a minute. Look how good this fucking Ivan Koloff was. Why should I care about fucking Happy Corbin? <laughs> Touche. Um, and no, as a big injustice, I, Ivan Koloff, out of everybody that's in it, is still not in the WWE Hall of Fame. It's fucking stupid. It is. I love, me, I love me some Molly Holly, but Molly Holly should not be in there before fucking Ivan Koloff. Well, number 153 in this PWI 500 is Derek Dukes, 6'2", 235, five years pro, currently wrestling in the IWA, made headlines by losing a boxing match to former football star Mark Gastineau, actually an excellent young competitor in the in wrestling ring. Derek I don't Dukes. know who this is. Fuck him. Let him eat fish heads. I don't you know. want me to sum it up for you? Please. Prince on steroids, except for he's darker. He's like, he's asked, he's like, you asked for purple rain, I got, you asked for purple rain, I got lavender mist. So he's Prince, but bigger, so he's Maxwell. (laughs) (laughs) I always feel like somebody's watching me, guy. Yeah. (laughs) Number 152. Kevin Sullivan, 5'10", 252, 20 years pro, the sport's most purely evil mind, wrestles while managing the crazed one-man gang, started career as a WWF favorite, but psyche snapped in the early 80s. He is warped. What can you say about Kevin Sullivan? He is love him, hate him, whatever. He's one of the most influential um, players in the 1990s in professional wrestling. This is what I'll say about Kevin Sullivan. I didn't mean to step on me, buddy. I was never the biggest fan of Kevin Sullivan in the ring, but his gimmick and his mind can't be undersold. Like, Like, that dude is a fucking wrestling genius, in my opinion. And like I said, I don't I like I've never watched a Kevin Sullivan match and been like, whoo, mind blown. But psychology and just um being able to look at a look at the big picture and be like, This is what we're gonna do, it's perfect. Like he he's let Eric Bischoff say what he wants to say. Kevin Sullivan was the guy that'd be like, we got to make Hogan a heel. Mm-hmm. Like nobody else ever in their fucking mind said, let's make this guy a fucking heel and see what happens. This guy is a guy that is even now really don't quite know what to think. Kevin Sullivan is he, isn't he? <laughs> Did he, didn't he? You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's amazing how just how this guy has been able to keep up this 
Because now, if Kevin Sullivan comes on a podcast, you're going to fucking listen. Yeah, listening to him talk and listening to him speak is is enthralling. It's it's captivating. And Aaron, as far as matches go, I agree with you. I haven't seen a lot of stuff where I say, man, Kevin Sullivan, that was the best shit on the card. Except his team with Jack. Yeah. And his matches with Benoit. Yeah, and that's honestly not him. It's kind of like what I talked about with, like, Baba. He looked at a guy or a couple guys in the card and was like, I can, I can, I can put myself with these guys and they can do the heavy lifting and then I can just kind of support it. You know what I mean? <clears throat> and, and I can say this. I don't think that WCW 96, 97 NWO shit would have ever happened if Kevin Sullivan wouldn't have been around Eric Bischoff wouldn't have the fucking nuts to fucking pull the trigger on a heel fucking Hogan. Mm-hmm. It never fucking happened. Like, he was the guy. Like, like you know, when you watch, like, like, um, and I don't, I, I, like I said, I don't want to smirch anybody that's gone, but all that shit that, like, um, Mike Graham says that he was like telling the telling the Bischoff it wasn't fucking Mike Graham it was Sullivan saying you gotta do this you gotta do that you gotta do this you gotta do that like he was the reason that WCW became what it was in my opinion thing I respect about him is uh, he always thought outside the box and he brought some shit in left field that you were fully like Nate said you're captivated by it. Mm-hmm. Like he's gone on. I, I've I've heard interviews where he where they've talked to him about that Dungeon of Doom stuff about being hokey and dumb or whatever. And he knew when he was doing it that this was hokey and dumb. But all he was doing was making Hogan feel comfortable. Yes, to be able to say, okay, you're comfortable now. You're invested in this company now. Look how I've taken care of you. Look how I've taken care of you. Now trust me to get you to this next fucking level of being able to be a fucking heel. Like, like. And, and the then funny I'll... thing, the funny thing, the funniest thing about it. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but it's watching him fumble through it. Because at first, remember, like Hogan's got like the Phantom of the Opera mask and the big sword and shit. Yeah. And that was their first try at it, and it's like, ooh, this is bad. <laughs> this is, and so uh, Sullivan's like, all right, back to the drawing board. Okay, yeah, that was yeah. drizzling shit. Yes, but, we're but, gonna do this differently. Look but, how fucking cool you looked in black, bro. Mm-hmm. But, look how cool you looked. But just like any good, any good book or anything, he left something for himself, and I wish it would have panned out better because, like, I can't remember what it's like. One of the Two or three nitros after Hogan turns to the bad side, fucking Sullivan comes out and he's like, Hulk Hogan. He's like, I don't give a shit about what I've what done to everybody else, but for me, I was supposed to kill Hulkamania, and you fucking took that from me. Yes, and that that's a cool promo. That's a cool ass promo. And yeah, I, uh, oh. I was I was a Kevin Sullivan fan until he. Um, 
killed Chris Benoit and, you know, did all those <laughs> all right. bad things. All right, Archie. No, I'm buddy. just kidding. I'm you kidding. conspiracy I'm theorist kidding. you. I'm just kidding. I'm only kidding. With okay. your foil hat. That, like I said, you watch videos of that man. He can't hardly walk. He's fucking beat up from his, the years. and re- You really think he had the fucking skill to fucking do that? If he had a towel and ether. No, I'm kidding. Again, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, it, it's but a, no, Kevin. It's all right. It's been many years since that happened. Kevin Sullivan, I think my favorite Kevin Sullivan feud and what it led to uh, was the feud with Brian Pillman and the strap match that never happened when Brian ripped off the strap and said, I respect you, Booker Man. And then we never saw him in WCW again. It was that, the catalyst. That's, that's, that's the, that's the, yeah, that's the classic know? example of working yourself into a shoot. Right. Well, <laughs> I, I, believe, I, I believe wholeheartedly that fucking Sullivan had to have with that. Well, number 151 and 91 is Jim Brunzel, 5'10", 234, 19 years pro, another dropkick master. Formed the High Flyers with Greg Gagne. The duo held the AWA World Tag Titles twice, 1977 and 1981. Currently an independent star. Of course, they don't have it listed here, but he was also one half of the Killer Bees. Why isn't that listed? Yeah, I don't understand. It's kind of interesting, but... That's not and what about mass confusion? It's well, he was also mass confusion with Jim Brunzel in the UWF. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine fucking all your fucking time learning how to be a pro wrestler? All the, the bullshit you got to go through. Like you do in anything to get there and be like a mass. Like God, <laughs> son of a bitch! I mean, I'm not pretty enough for the television. <laughs> it's like they brought the fishbowl with gimmicks around and shit, and, and he reached right. in and he was like, "Can right, I draw you're again? a cop? You're a cop. <laughs> you guys are gonna be some dogs. You guys are into S and M. You're a beast. You know how you know these fucks? Like when you're getting introduced to the, to the ring, like here's." Paul. <laughs> oh no! Oh, oh no! Murdered. <laughs> <laughs> or back in those days when you were already in the ring when the real star was coming out with a sparkly yeah. jacket on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Every jobber owned his owned a sequin jacket for some reason, you know. And it would be some like I was like a fucking perm and stuff. They yeah. all. They, they all got him on loan from the Italian Stallion. <laughs> and they always had the name, like, Handsome Jimmy V or something. You know what I mean? Like they, yeah. And there was always the fattest, ugliest, sweatiest guy in the room. Like, <laughs> why? Well, you know what, though? Uh, Bobby Heenan would get those fuckers over. Yep. Yes. Yep. He'd, he'd get those ham and eggers over. <sighs> so we're going to do three more, guys. Then we're going to sign off for this week. Number 150. This one will be quick because I don't know jack shit about this cat. Ricky Rice. Oh. 6'1", years. <laughs> Four years pro. Former AWA stars dropkick is unsurpassed. Defeated Jerry Lynn to win the PWA title. Recently competed in the WWF for the first time. Bad attitude. He, uh, he used to team with a guy named Frankie Beans. 
<laughs> together they made the classic tag team of <laughs> rice and beans. Miss Monty. Beans and rice. <laughs> beans and rice. <laughs> no, I have no that idea. Shit go over now. God damn no, it, his friends should have been red beans. So it could be red <laughs> beans and rice. <laughs> but then Popeyes would have sued them. Did you guys ever see that? Get the? Did you guys see the the this uh, skit a couple of years ago that Chappelle did on SNL? Dude, I was about, the exact same oh. thing. When I said Bismonte, it reminded me. Yes. Do you guys remember? That. Did, you, did you see that when he's playing Count Chocula? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he, he doesn't. He, he doesn't play Count Chocula. Oh no! Yeah, no, 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 no yeah. Pete Davidson plays Count Chocula. They have. It, uh, Chappelle, yeah. Chappelle plays the Allstate man. He's yes, like, he's, like, he's like, look, into my we have to let you go. It just we don't feel comfortable. It's like, well, if I got Uncle Ben, yeah, Uncle so, and Uncle Ben's like, God but damn it, woman, why? God damn it, woman, rice is all I know. White rice, yeah. yellow rice. Bismonte. Yeah, like, funny. That was a complete Dave Chappelle written fucking yes. oh, gold. It's gold, Jerry. It's gold. You know, honestly, like I felt like that episode on Saturday Night Live, that was his like Carlin moment. Well, he but, is the modern Carlin. Exactly. Yeah, I mean that opening monologue. Mm-hmm. I just God, it's like you're all the entire time. Well, number one forty nine on this PWI five hundred is Mister Doug Gilbert, five eleven, two thirty three years pro, younger brother of Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert, much bigger and stronger than Eddie, has made a great career strides in ninety one, calming down after years of evil. Um, what, what is it? Like family in wrestling that like makes or breaks a, a talent. Well, I think it's a number of factors. You know, like <clears throat> a lot of times you have the different personalities. You know, the different personality traits. Like, Eddie, we obviously know Eddie was not, um, what do I want to say? And I don't want to, I'm not trying to besmirch everybody, anybody, as Regal would say. But Eddie Guerrero had his demons, or Eddie Gilbert had his demons. So did Eddie Guerrero. But Eddie Gilbert had his demons. But when he was in the building, when he was working... He was able to keep that shit under control. Doug was not like that. Doug Doug was a fucking firecracker, you know. Basically, you can tell by the picture. Like, you ever seen that shit with Doug and USWA? What do you mean? You ever seen that shit, guys? Yeah, I have. Mm-hmm. He went on live fucking TV on the USWA and went into business for himself and was like talking about behind the scenes shit. And he's like, 
talking to me. He's like, I'm out here trying to do my job. And Randy Hills is back there just smoking crack and just like, <laughs> and fucking, um, um, let his name just drop out of my fucking mind. Uh, Lance Russell's buddy. Um, Dave Brown. Yeah, Dave Brown's like, oh no, like no, we can't do this, you know, like oh my god, like it's just like, <laughs> duh, like Eddie, Eddie knew how far to go, but Doug had Eddie's mentality, but no filter of okay, I can't go if, if I go this far, then I'm gonna burn bridges. It's like the Maxson brothers. Yeah, I'm the I'm the Doug Gilbert of this shit. <laughs> shit, that means I'm gonna be dead and you'll still be alive. Fuck. What well, says here that he he did uh Freddy Krueger as a gimmick too? I'm wondering if that's that match that uh synonymously went around with him versus Leatherface. Probably, yeah, because they. They they did a fucking they shot on that company too. It's like when you got them Gilbert brothers together, they just fucking <laughs> could not control themselves. Like Chad talks about when they were in ECW together, mm-hmm. and by the time they fucking left, Eddie was just selling his like Eddie was just selling his shit. He's like, I'm gonna sell my boots. I'm gonna sell my tights. We can get out of here. And just be done with it. And fucking Doug was like, I'm going to start breaking monitors and shit with a baseball bat. It's like, <laughs> fuck, you've escalated it. Like, it came back to where we might be able to come back. But then Doug is just breaking shit with a baseball bat. It's like, oh my God. Because that's what you do when you leave. Now we can't come back. If you had a boss like Polly, wouldn't you? Right. <laughs> so your parents are Jewish lawyers. You can afford this. <laughs> All right, let's do two Apparently more. Not. What, Aaron? Let's do two more. All right, two more. 148. Here's a legend. God fucking damn it. Coquina Maximus. 63340, yeah, seven years pro. The biggest Samoan wrestler ever. Failure to stay in one federation for anything resembling a lengthy period of time has hindered his development currently in Mexico. And we know that Coquina Maximus is going to become Yoko Zuna. Yes, sir. And one of the best had, big men ever. And I was going to say, had no, I don't want to say no right, had no, like, that dude shouldn't have been as good as he was for the fucking size that he was. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, no yeah. way. No way. You see that guy. And they were smart, too, when they first when they first brought him into the WWF. I know we're not talking about that. We're talking about 91. And him as Coquina Maximus. But when they first brought him in, they even made him kind of work reserved. You know? They made him, you know, just act like a sumo wrestler and don't, don't do too much. And don't... But by the time he's the champ... And and all that he's doing drop kicks and 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 That's taking the, taking 
Well, that and these, um, and not just what he's what he's giving, but what he's taking. Like amazing Why bumps for a guy is. his size. Insane bumps for a guy his size. Not only that, but like imagine just the the force that he's hitting that fucking mat. Right. Mm-hmm. What that does, to, you know. Like, could well, you imagine like, being the guy? Could you imagine being the guy? It's like, okay, I'm going to lay down on my back. And this fucking guy is going to get on the second rope and splash that fucking ass onto me. Right. And I'm trusting him to catch his weight. Yeah, it's like, it's fucking nuts how talented that motherfucker was. And I I don't want to say that he doesn't get enough credit because he gets a, he gets a lot he did, of it. But he didn't but, for a long time. And and, and I, I was going to say that. That's actually one of the things I was going to say. I was so happy when they brought out that documentary about him. Yep. Yep. Because for uh, well over 15 to 20 years, he he didn't get the credit that he deserved. No. And, it, it, and, and, go ahead, Kyle. Sorry. It, it just, it, it's kind of like the Vader thing where it's like, well, he couldn't get his way to control. And it wasn't, you know, just depends, I guess, on where, how the, they are with the company. How they when are. they bring you whole chickens at a fucking time, you're not going to get your way to the control. I remember but being it, a kid renting a, renting a Coliseum video that had, on the front of it, it said, Yokozuna's workout, and I was like, "Okay, this should be interesting." And Yokozuna's workout, it was Mean Gene Okerlund sitting at a at a sushi table with Yokozuna and Mister Fuji, while they gave they fed him pounds and pounds of rice and sushi. Mm-hmm. And that, Mean Gene looks at Mister Fuji, look, this is a workout for him. Oh yes, my Yokozuna need to eat at least forty five pounds of food at every serving so he can, can maintain his weight. Now, as a kid, that was like, "Wow, that's awesome!" As an adult, I go, "Fuck, why were they doing this?" Look at all those, look at all those cards, <laughs> you know. And then, that, and then, speaking of run, run. That's oh, my sorry. That's my earliest rep memory of pro wrestling. Was seeing that, right? Yep. And then, and then speaking of Rodney Anoy, the man, like Rakishi talks about how he had no fucking money, yep. you know. And he was telling Rodney, he's like, Rodney, I got no money. They're going to cut my heat off. You know, my kids are in here, and those are the Usos. You know, he's like, I I have nothing. And then he said he got back off the road, and he got home, and his fucking water was on, and his fucking lights were on. And fucking Rodney paid for it. Uh Like, Like, that dude... Was uh, upstanding. He took care of everybody. Everybody he took care of his people, and he was a fucking class act as a human being, and as a class act as a fucking wrestler. Like that dude was fucking fantastic, and like I could talk all day about fucking Yokozuna. And I know we're not when, talking about him when he became Yoko. Right. We're still talking about like him, and I think this was. Would have been him in like AWA, I think, right? Yeah, AWA in New Japan. They were uh, 
in AWA, he was doing single stuff, but in New Japan, he was teaming up with Samu and Vader. Damn, him and Vader is a tag team. Well, and I think, too, like I said, a lot of it for a long time was, it goes back to, like, Bret Hart talking about, like, oh, he, Yoko, he he went into business for himself and ended the match early, and it's like, imagine being in that moment where not only are you winning the title for Bret Hart, but then Hogan is going to come in, and now you're going to go work with Hulk Hogan. Right. Yeah, and you've been in the company for like maybe six months. Right. Oh, and by the, the biggest way, name you worked with was throwing Macho Man out of the Royal Rumble. Right. And by the way, next month you're you're going to beat Hulk Hogan for the world title. Now, right. Manigan's involved, but like Jesus, you know that's. And that may have quite honestly been what led to a lot of his downfall. You know, the, the too much, too soon kind of thing. Yep. Right. Instead of doing a slow burn, they sent him to the rocket. They sent him to the moon on a rocket ship. All right. And Any more on uh, Yoko? I honestly, I wish him and Owen Hart would have had a longer run as tag partners. Like, yeah, they were they were the perfect mix. Can you imagine them like in ninety ninety-three? One of my you brought up oh one of my favorite things is when he's introduced as the mystery partner for Owen Hart at the WrestleMania eleven and fucking Yoko's walking up the steps and Owen's just like hugging him. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I don't do nothing now. I'm definitely going to win this match. Yeah. That's good shit. And also, don't take away from his reign as champion. Um, He was the first, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I know I'm not. He was the first ever dominant heel champion the WWF ever booked. Yeah. Before him, before right. him it was all it was all there's a big baby face chasing a heel champion. He's gonna get the title in, in short order. And they went to the moon with Yoko as champion. Yeah there there's Maybe only Savage. one well I was gonna before because Sa- Savage was a face for most of his title run, right. The only yeah. one I was, the only one I was going to say was probably Billy Graham, and he was only champ for less than a year. Yeah, I know, and and I was going to say that it was it was about a year with Graham, but he was, and so, so I'm not discounting what you're saying. I'm just saying that's the only guy I can think of as like a heel champ. That I can think, and, and and Graham was different because he wanted a lot on like fluke finishes or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think he's the best example of Vince McMahon looking at a situation and going, "Yeah, I know we have Bret Hart here, but like, there's so much more money right now in the go." 
mm-hmm. and changing his plans, you know. All right, one more. And then we'll wrap it up for this week. Let me see here. Oh, man, I said it last week, but I guess I'll have to say it this week again. We're almost to the color pages. Right now, we're still in the black and white. We're almost to the color pages. You're you're just leading us on. This is all a big tease. We're never getting to the color pages. <laughs> it's going to be fucking blank. Really. There, wasn't, there wasn't any color in 1991. <laughs> it was just the back cover and the front cover. Blood was blood was blood was banned in both major companies, so yeah, there was no color. Um, right. One forty-seven. Pat Tanaka, five ten, two thirty-six, six years pro, young Japanese star has been part of two fine tag teams. Tanaka and Paul Diamond uh, held the AWA World Tag Titles in '86. Now a member of the Orient Express with Kato, who is also Paul Diamond. Uh, Pat Tanaka, fantastic tag team wrestler. And the originator of the Goldberg theme song. Hey. WCW. Yes. <laughs> Archie made it like you wrote it. Well, no, but he used it. <laughs> Pat Tanaka, first. great wrestler, great composer. Great composer. Yeah. Right up, right up there with John. Right up there with John Williams, yes. Beethoven. His Pat Tanaka. Uh, I was a Pat Tanaka fan, I guess. I mean, the Orient Express were always like the opening match on every pay per view. And- but they always tore the oh. fucking house down, man. Yeah. Right. It's like when we were talking great. about the nasties. It's like when we were talking about the nasties, you can put them with anybody, and then you're still going to get good shit out of them. So, yeah, yeah I, got, I have no problem with Pat Tanaka. I got no hate on Pat Tanaka, except the fact that he's full of his own shit. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, the only shit that I got with him is the latter years where he's doing that Goku dude shit. Like, what the fuck is that? You're a Dragon Ball Z character now, motherfucker? Well, hey, if Paul Diamond could become Max Moon, why couldn't he become Goku? <laughs> Tony Schiavone's like Pat Tanaka in the ring Pat Tanaka's like Kame Kame <laughs> I don't know anything about Dragon Ball Z where are you guys saying you know what, about my, Dragon Ball Z you know what one of the most racist things wrestling ever did that I still think is so fucking hilarious was when they would have uh, like Kai and Ty come out and just fucking go like tirade, and then you just hear, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I'm glad the WWF never did was have Juventud Guerrera come out on a lawnmower. Glad they never did that, right, Kyle? You sure? You sure about that? I'm going to have to ask you to please fucking put that back very fucking old because goddamn. Look, Kyle, the Kyle Hooventude connection is the longest <laughs> reigning throwback in the history of the We Can't Wrestle podcast. And for those of you that don't know, that may be newer listeners or what have you, there was an episode of this show, I think it was like episode six or something 
where Kyle said, man, I wish Juventud Guerrero had worked for the WWE. (laughs) (laughs) And he will never live it down. That's not the that's not the number one thing. The number one thing, Nate, is your fucking Kenny Omega. Oh yeah, well yeah, yeah. First hey. episode, Kyle. Yes, Kyle. You not knowing that who we uh, worked for the WWE was Mexico cool of you. I, I, think, <laughs> oh, I don't know. It was super crazy, man. It was definitely psychosis. <laughs> I didn't get I didn't get UPN. I didn't get UPN. <laughs> That's actually a really good excuse. Oh. <laughs> oh, all right, back to Pat Tanaka. <laughs> Anything else on Pat Tanaka? Oh, actually, no. Good... Nope. What? Actually, no. I, I sometimes I can get it. The fucking planet's aligned. Oh my god. I didn't know what we were talking about for a second. Pat Tanaka was a good worker, but he has a um, high opinion of himself. That's all I'll say. Yeah. And and my thing is, is, uh, would we really have even been intrigued as much had they not been managed by Mr. Fuji? That's a good question. You might be right. Ah, you good question, right. boy son. Good question. <laughs> so that being said, this week around, I'm going to let uh, each and every one of these fuckers pitch their own shit. I'm not going to do it for you. Kyle, you don't have shit to pitch because you don't have your own show yet. I have something to pitch, though. All right, so we're going to start with Kyle. Kyle Army, pitch a shit. <clears throat> I would like to do a little call to arms for a friend. Uh, she is basically, she's a mom who is trying to win a contest with Maxim to become a cover girl. You go to her Instagram, it's poppymoon44. Good friend. I've known her for almost 15 years. She's one of those good people, man. She deserves, you know, like she's in the running for the top 15 right now. So do a little call to arms, man. Help make someone's fucking dream come true, you know? Give, give the Instagram one more time, brother. Uh, Poppy Moon 44. Like I said, man, I'm all about, I want to give. Like, people, takes nothing to support, man. Show each other love. Let's fucking, you know, bring this together. Mitchell, pitch your shit. Yes, sir, Mr. Maxson, sir. Uh, <laughs> this week on uh, If You Smell What the Art is Cooking will be an all-WWE-themed WWE show. We'll be talking about Money in the Bank and uh, NXT's Great American Bash, as well as what's been going on in the WWE with Vince McMahon and his whole $3 million fiasco and now possibly being called a rapist by the first female ring announcer in the WWE. Um, so 
Look for that drop in probably Sunday or Monday afternoon. Mark Brew? Um, my statement is, of course, listen to Mark's Indy Spotlight. But if you're not listening to the rest of the shows on this network, what the fuck are you doing with your life? <laughs> like, if, if, you, if you are having a shitty day, Turn on, turn on Reliving the Extreme. Turn on a slice of time with all of us idiots. I mean, if, if, I promise you, there's going to be something on there where you're going to fucking chuckle. If, if, if you don't fucking get your seven chuckles in listening to anything that we do, uh, you really, you're missing out. You're not living. Right. Right. Aaron, it's your turn. Um, apparently, give the Kyle's Instagram with Big Poppy Pump or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Um, but other than that, um, listen to Reliving the Extreme. That's my favorite fucking show. Um, I don't listen to it because I live it. It it's the funniest goddamn show on the fucking pod any podcast streaming app you go on to Spotify fucking Podbean what are the other ones fucking I stream whatever the fuck yeah Apple podcast fucking get on there and listen to Reliving the Extreme that's my fucking brainchild that's my favorite show um but also listen to it's not one of the best ones it is the best one. It's, I, it's the best one. I know. But, I mean, where else are you going to get the point of view from the perspective of somebody who is a worker in one of the three biggest companies at that time? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It, it, it's fucking fantastic. Reliving the Extreme's great. Slice Time's great. Uh, Ending Spotlight's great. Um, um, if you smell with the arches, cooking is great. Listen to all those shows. And the one thing that I would ask is that listening to it is fantastic, but rate it and put comments on it. Cause that's the only way that shows get up the, um, um, pecking yeah. order. So I don't care if you guys say, I love potato salad. I don't give a fuck what you comment. Just comment and rate it. Give it a five-star rating. All of the shows, um, all of these guys put a lot more work into their shows than I do. And just help them do the heavy lifting. I don't care if you guys rate my show. I don't give a fuck. I just, I just I like talking say- to you. I will say, I don't comment you. that you love Bug Zumal because that's going to start some shit. No, Mark. <laughs> yeah, don't don't say anything about Bug Zumal. Please don't say anything about Bug Zumal. Unless it's defamatory. If you want to, if if you want a defamatory Bug Zumal, I'm all about that because he's a fucking piece of shit. No. But what I'm getting at is, guys. And gal, because there's probably like one lady that listens to this show. 
probably that Billy Ann Wolf. Four. She probably listens to our Four. shit. Mandy, Mandy, yeah. and Pesci, Billy Ann Wolf. Yeah, Mandy, Mandy um, listened. A couple others. Yeah. All I'm saying is please rate and comment on our shows. That way we can get it up, get it up the ladder. I didn't mean to babble. But I want to do it, please. Huh? Kyle, call to arms. Yes, vote for his friend to, to be on the cover of Maxim. I'm calling to arms that everybody go on Aaron's show's Facebook and comment, I love potato salad tomorrow morning. Yeah, and okay. get Poppy Tulo over for Kyle. Why? Why? Uh, what, what's what's the deal with the potato salad? Why? Apparently, Aaron wants people to comment. I love potato salad, so that's what they're going to comment. No, what I'm saying is, I don't care what they comment. Just comment. <laughs> and if you well, comment, it will. If comment you comment, us. it will get us up. Ooh. Ooh, that's that you reminds, said. Me. <laughs> that reminds said. me of that banana cream pie, uh, Cat Williams joke. <laughs> <laughs> What's that salad, bitch? You know what my favorite? My favorite Why is me trying to say <laughs> something positive about all of you guys? Because you said, and I quote, and I quote, if you guys comment, it will get us up. <laughs> it will. It'll give, me a, it'll give me a bit of a stiff if somebody's like, hey, your show's good. Like, all right. I I think it's um, funny. I think it's hilarious when Cat Williams talks about his his uh his friendship with Shaq. Then he's talking about Shaq's <laughs> dick, and he takes the mic and he's like <laughs> on top of his anyway. You know, this is ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> the every the everyday I'm hustling intro. Who's yeah, Nate, you can't you you can't get me fucking ten beers in and be like, give us a plug. Like, I don't know what the fuck to say. Well, we certainly didn't. Like I love potato salad, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Just don't be fucking lazy and click a fucking button, you morons. Just click a button. Mandy, Mandy and Billy, if you could do me a favor, ship Aaron potato salad. Yeah, just click up. I don't want fucking overseas potato salad. <laughs> they don't live overseas. God. I don't want over. I don't want over the river river potato salad. It's not going to spoil by the time it gets there. I just Shut said up. I just said don't potato salad. I just said potato salad. What is fucking that like potato salad? All right, we're getting we're getting no. freaked out again. We're about I said potato salad. <laughs> Dear fucking lord. All right, I'll do the sign potato, off, ladies and gentlemen. Potato salad is what I said. Nate, now the, you know better. Handle all this. Yeah, <laughs> all the verbal vomit you've heard Wait, at the end on. of this show this week. Potato salad. I said potato salad. I'm insulting myself salad. now. I'm gonna it's rib myself. Salad. Kyle, if you don't this know, that's a pretty rock. potato salad. Potato salad. God damn it! You can't when just I, birds. You know what's great for me. When I hear when I when I hear and, and this is no this is absolutely no uh slight on Mark or Archie or anybody else that joins us. But when I hear Kyle and Aaron argue, it's mm-hmm. just like it's gold for me, Jerry. It's gold. I know. 
Skull, baby. I know it is. That's why Kyle needs to be on the show more. But anyway, I, I, I'm, I'm trying. This is what I this is what I did tonight. I'm trying. Yes, I'm, trying. Yes. I'm trying. I'm sitting here. Listen, listen. I'm sitting here with a <laughs> and you killed Nate. Are you happy? Because I had to take the family to fucking Cedar Point Saturday. Uh, it's Monday, and I got called out by. Older workers to go on a roller coaster, and I was like, "Oh fuck you! I'll do it if you do it." <laughs> the, desper- the desperation with which you said, "I'm trying." I'm trying. <laughs> Keep swimming. <laughs> Keep that's what Aaron said when he was in the corner with Kimberly and Evad was watching. Well, and that's yep. fucked up. I'm trying. No, if, if I was in the corner with Kimberly, I wouldn't have to be trying. Is somebody making macaroni and cheese? <laughs> I'm trying. No, but I'm telling you right now. Listen, oh. Hold on, just hang on. Hang on. I've tried to fucking stop swimming and just sink to the bottom. I'm so goddamn fat, fucking buoyant, and I just float to the top. <laughs> Who lives in a pipe? I'm mean, there along the way now. I'm just trying to figure out what potato salad is. I told you, it's pretty potato salad. It's... I feel like a fucking moron, because I said potato salad. Like, I'm mad at myself. Like, I want to retake. Listen to everybody's Guys. shit, and fuck potato salad. <laughs> you work. Oh. You work in a goddamn grocery store. I understand. Huh? (laughs) Every day. I'm sure you've had the fucking inventory. (laughs) I've never had a stock potato salad before. (laughs) Oh, because there's no. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this I is feel, what we do every I feel that per- recording. Potato salad is potato salad pretending, <laughs> pretending to be macaroni salad. That's what I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> or hanging some wood. Pretending salad. You can't Pretending write a this good. No, you can't. <laughs> I've drank a lot, guys. I'm sorry. Take us out, Nate. Thank you for joining us, everybody, this week on the We Can't Wrestle podcast. Again, like these guys have stumbled through this week, check out all our shows here on the network. And any one of them that you listen to, you will not be disappointed. The We Can't Wrestle podcast, Mark Cindy Spotlight, If You Smell What the Arch is Cooking, The Year That Was, Slice of Time, and Reliving the Extreme. And more shows to come when I have, I don't know, if I can make 27 hours in a day, we will have more shows. But that being said, everybody, thank you for joining us this week on the We Can't Wrestle podcast. We will see you next week as we continue our journey through the inaugural PWI 500. If you don't like the shows, eat a dick. Right. (laughs) With potato salad. With potato salad.
with your potato salad, with your side of potato salad. Oh, oh, Persader salad. Maybe Moon Belly Kyle can't be the name of the show. <laughs> it has to be Persader salad. salad. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, Moon Belly Kyle is his potato salad. <laughs> I am at I am at fucking twelve beers now. <laughs> I'm not gonna remember any of this. 